Praise the Lord. Thankful to be here in the house of God with all of you on this Wednesday night, this 18th day of October, the year of our Lord. If you brought your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Genesis. Everybody say Genesis. And what does Genesis mean? The origin or beginning, right? Um, so it is the first book of the Bible. It is where we learn about God's creation account. All right. Um, I am a, a creationist. I do believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Um, I believe that there are no accidents, no coincidences that have not been preordained by God himself because he is the cosmic engineer. Everybody say God is the cosmic engineer. He puts all things together. Right, Jordan? Um, and um, we're so blessed to have a God who is faithful. Um, not only did he create the heavens and the earth, the universe, um, guess what? He knows your name. Bible says that he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Um, the Lord formed you in, in your mother's womb. Um, and he knew you before he formed you there. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So um, there are no accidents when it comes to God. Um, these are all things that he foreknew, and we were thankful that we were a part of his plan. We are thankful that we are a part of his, his thinking, all right, um, when he drew it all up, um, however he did. Uh, we were a part of it, so praise the Lord. We are in Genesis 34, so we are going to now turn to the Scripture, and we're going to read through Scripture. I'm going to read today. Um, the scripture and today's chapter um, it's kind of an upsetting chapter um, if it doesn't uh, bother you a little bit and uh, you're probably not human all right um, if it doesn't bother you um, maybe you are human but you have some emotional disorder uh, <laughs> but you're gonna see why you're gonna see why but what I love about scripture is that doesn't hide it doesn't hide the imperfections and the flaws of the people of Scripture that we're learning about. Because we're learning about the history of the people that God called unto himself. It doesn't mean that they were perfect people. It means there were people who made mistakes. Like, guess who? Like, guess who? Us. Raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. Raise your hand if you made more than one mistake. Raise both hands if you are the recipient of God's grace and God's mercy. If you've ever made a mistake. Man, I'll put my feet up. Praise God. Man. But one of the things that I've learned in my years of being a Christian is to learn how to say, I'm sorry, Lord. Is to learn how to say, I'm sorry to my fellow brother and sister, my fellow men. Um, is to learn how to allow God to correct us, to teach us, to humble us, and so that we grow from it. And that's all part of being a Christian. It's all part of being a believer, right? That's one of the things, though, that Christians that have been walking with the Lord for quite some time struggle with, though, is a word that starts with the letter P. Anybody know what that is? 
pride. You said people? <laughs> we struggle with people. That too. Because it involves people. We struggle with pride. Christians sometimes think that we know it all. Because we, we do serve a great and mighty God. And we serve the one and only true God. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. But don't allow our theology to prevent us from taking responsibility of the mistakes that we make. Can I hear an amen? Especially folks who are married or in serious relationships, you know um, the only way to stay in those relationships is to learn how to say, I'm sorry. And to learn how to forgive, right? But we're going to read um, a story about some folks who uh, life happened to. Life happened to them, right? Um, and we all know that life happens to all of us. Things can be going great. It could be you could be on a you could be on a twenty year win streak. But guess what? Tragedy strikes. Life circumstances will happen. And that's where the body of Christ truly takes on the shape and the image of Jesus. Come on, let's help that sister right there. Let's not leave Sister Nancy all by herself. When she clapped, it didn't mean she's clapping for me. She's clapping because the Lord ministered to her right there at that moment. And I praise God for that. You're a testimony, Sister Nancy. You mind if I share a little bit? Sister Nancy's two kids were in a car accident last week and um, banged up pretty good, scary. Mijo, uh, her son, um, was uh, in ICU and then um, was like any mother. And she was not in the vehicle when the accident happened. So, um, of course, she's gone through a whole roller coaster of emotions. and But the Lord is... Um, thankfully, the Lord has been healing um, Miho of his head and his eye. And her daughter um, is, is doing better. And she went to school the very next day. Praise the Lord. And, uh, but you're loved and, and you're supported by a wonderful church. But more than anything, you serve a mighty God. No matter when we're separated from one, one another church and when we're going through life, and sometimes you feel like you're on your own, you are, but you're with the Lord Jesus. You know, you're with the Lord Jesus. And if the body of Christ knows and is able to be there for you and with you to walk through that, we will be there with you and for you to walk with you through whatever you're going through. Okay? Um, so don't be, don't be afraid to call the church. Don't be afraid to contact us um, and let the church know what's going on in your lives, how we can pray. Um, we have a great pastoral staff, a big staff. If one of us is not able to... Uh, attend to, to the need that you may have. There may be another pastor, another brother and sister in Christ that can come and visit and encourage. And um, I've heard all kinds of testimonies of how during the pandemic, when we really saw that people had great needs, that we said, you know, we, we're going to try to do our, our darndest to make sure that the body of Christ knows how to care for itself. The body heals itself through the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's go to the scriptures and 
I'd like to entitle this message. I got another long title. <laughs> I've been on a roll with these ones lately. Uh, Genesis 34, um, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And in um, Proverbs 14, 12, that's where we get that scripture. You want to write that down if it's something you want to hold on to. Um, but we're going to see this verse showing up here in the story of Jacob and his family. And Jacob's daughter, something happened to Jacob's daughter. Raise your hand if you have a daughter in here. Raise your hand if you are a, someone's daughter. I should have raised my hand up when I, when I asked, do I have a daughter? I have a daughter. And we're going to read about something right now that, um, like I said earlier, if reading this scripture doesn't do something to you, something's wrong with you. Look what it says. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. In other words, you guys, she was going to spend some time with her friends. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and he violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. Let's pause there for a moment. Um, in these first four verses, if that doesn't bother you to hear of a young lady who was taken against her will, in other words, she was kidnapped, and then it says she was violated. Um, the Hebrew word is hana, and this word refers to somebody who, who is uh, literally oppressed, um, violated, or defiled, another way to put it. In, the, in other words, this man took her um, and against her will, slept with her. There's another word for that. It starts with an R. It's called rape. So this young lady was kidnapped and she was raped by somebody that she did not know. While she was walking through town, um, mind you, they're new to this area, all right? Because in chapter 33, we read that Jacob sets out with his family to a new land. And they're in the Canaan land, and they settle now in this area called Shechem. And Shechem is the name of this man who took Jacob's daughter Dinah, all right, and saw this beautiful young lady and says, I'm going to take her and, and make her mine. Now, that just outright just boils my blood because I have a daughter, right? I have a daughter, and, and, and we, do, we do our darndest to, to try and make sure that our daughter is cared for and looked after, and, and we, we want to protect her to the best of our abilities, right? Um, and here this thing happens, right, by this, this young man, all right, um, and it's an interesting passage because it says she was violated, but then it says that the man spoke tenderly to her and his heart was drawn to her, which for, is a confusing kind of understanding of the passage. In other words, this man saw a beautiful young lady and says, I want to make her my wife, but he didn't go about it the right way, and in a, a Near, uh, of, uh, Near East ancient, you know, culture, there was it was very brutal. It was very, um, very violent back then. People would normally just take things that they wanted without asking. Women in those days were really just considered as property, but not if you're a father. You're not just your daughter ain't just property. Now I don't care how ancient this story is. That's your daughter, right? Can I hear an amen? 
That's your, that, that, that's Jacob's daughter, all right? And so we're now just gathering this, the, the details of this story. And so let's continue here, all right? Let's continue here because there's some, there's some good stuff for us to, to learn. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. So we know here, you guys, there was no law the way we know law today. There was no overarching government. There were, were no established laws in those days. However, the Bible says that the law of God was, has been imprinted upon the hearts of mankind. And so in those days, they normally would take matters into their own hands. They did have a type of code, though, that tribes and peoples had to live by. And they expected other tribes and other peoples to abide by those laws and codes. The larger the tribe, the larger the people, those groups would normally take other peoples and subject them unto them their own. And so they would swallow up nations. They would swallow up other tribes by conquering them. It was a, a very brutal, a very bloody time in history. Okay? But people still knew that you did not take things that didn't belong to you. You did not take young women <coughs> that were not yours and violate them the way that Shechem did with Dinah. And the Bible says that Jacob was quiet about it and he was pondering and thinking about the situation and how he would handle it. Okay? It says that he waited while his sons were in the fields. But, of course, the word would get to his sons, probably the servants who heard what had happened when Jacob went to talk with Hamor. Let's continue. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her um, to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us, because this was the land of Shechem. This was their land, and the land was named after Hamor's son. This son who took Dinah, who raped her, who kidnapped her, and took, took her um, for himself. He says, live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. So Hamor is talking with Jacob, and he's like, hey, let's, let's, link, let's link up families. Let's start a, you know, um, trading with one another. Let's, let's become prosperous together. And all of this after Jacob realizing what this man Hamor's son had done to Jacob's daughter. Imagine what Jacob now is going through and what he's thinking about at this time. Verse 11, Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift 
I am to bring as a gift you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamar. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That'd be a disgrace to us because Israel was becoming a people. All right. Jacob had left Laban, his father-in-law's land, and now they're setting out on their own. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And then he says, You're, and, and now the promises of God to Abraham are starting to be fulfilled. And they're starting to be um, come into their own, right? So Jacob's got all these sons. I think he's got 11 sons at this time. They got wives, and, and they're starting to have children too. So they're be starting to become a formidable people. And so they have a way of doing things, and they have a relationship with the Almighty God, the Creator. They're three, they're three generations in to this, this um, monogamous relationship with, with Father God. There is no written law. There is no law of Moses. There is no Ten Commandments. There is no, you know, um, 713 commandments that the Jews ultimately would, um, or 613 commandments that they ultimately would have to follow according to a written law and written commandment. There was nothing like that at this point in time. They were just establishing uh, a rhyme and a rhythm in this relationship with this, this God, this far and distant God that he was building a relationship with. So let, let's, let's continue. Verse 15, we will gather our consent um, to you on a, on a condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all of your males. Do you remember when God um, had Abraham circumcised? And said, now all of the, the, the boys um, that are Jewish would have to have the sign of circumcision to show that they're from the lineage of Abraham or they're from that, that tribe or that people. Then he will give you our daughters. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you'll not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go home. You see that the, their daughter, Jacob's daughter, was still in the possession of Shechem and under the house of Hamor. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's household, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to their fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters, and they can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us on only one condition, that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So give, give us... Um, so let us give our consent to them, and they will settle among us. So they saw this as a way to grow. They saw this as a way of prosperity. They saw this as a way to become more wealthy than they, than they already were by uh, interloping and joining these two tribes. All of this after a great and grave mistake. You following so far, church? 
All right, let's continue. Verse 24. All the men who went out um, of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem. And every male in the city was circumcised. Now, this, these, the men from the city and their families, you guys, must have held Hamor and Shechem in high esteem. So much so that they had this kind of influence. That they would come to them and say, hey, we have a chance to be very, very rich and wealthy and prosperous. Only you have, all you men have to be circumcised as grown men. Now, circumcision is something that majority of men happen when the, the babe, they're babies, right? And they're numbed and they go through that whole process and, and so on and so forth. Most of the time, grown men aren't having this procedure done, although some do for medical conditions after they're adults, all right? Praise the Lord, and may the Lord have mercy on them. All right? Um, I don't want to get too graphic, but we need to understand what's going on here, okay? Now, these men of the city agreed. There must have been some persuasion. There must have been some very, very wealthy men, and they must have not wanted to disappoint Hamor or Shechem. Men of money, men of power, men of influence, people of money, people of power, people of influence are used to getting what they want. Used to getting what they want. And we're going to see here how God sometimes has other things to say about it where he brings in justice. Okay, so let's continue. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, they had ice packs on. Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, write that down. Simeon and Levi, two of Jacob's sons, they were the sons of Leah. And Leah was the mother of Dinah. All right? She's not listed in the 12 tribes of Jacob because most of the time at that point, men were the ones who were given um, titles and, and ident identity and, and, and labels um, and heads of tribes. It, was, it went through the men. All right? But Dinah was one of Leah's children. All right, Jacob's first wife. All right, so her two um, full brothers, Simeon and Levi, all right, were there, and they were they were furious. They were furious about what happened to their baby sister. And did they have a good reason to be furious? Did they have a good reason to be upset? Absolutely. But let's see what they did. Dinah's brother, they took the swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. See, she was still um, under, um, under duress. She was still kidnapped and had not been given back to her, her father or her brothers. And they had no intention of returning her to her family. All right? The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds 
and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all of their wealth and all their women and children, taking its plunder, everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? So Jacob is now um, new to this region of Canaan in this city called Shechem. And he goes to Hamor, and he actually purchases property from Hamor and his sons. The Bible tells us that Jacob went and gave him cash money for the property now that he was going to establish and that he was going to build his family upon. Mind you, this is part of the area, the Canaan land, the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. Last week, we were reminded of the fact that Abraham had stepped into that um, by purchasing a property, right, um, and establishing residence in this area of Canaan um, that Jacob, now to the third generation, is starting to settle in and build their family out, uh, fulfilling the promises that God had for uh, Abraham's offspring. Now let's continue. As we read here that Hamor and Shechem came from um, a very wealthy family. And Shechem sees this beautiful woman and decides he wants to take her for himself without going through the proper channels, without going to her and saying, can I meet your family? Would you consider becoming one of my, my, my wives? Right or because back then they had multiple wives, um, but no, he just takes her into his uh, himself. All right, and then after after committing such a, a grievous, a grievous act, Hamor goes to Jacob and has the audacity to now tell him, "Hey, my son wants to take your daughter as his wife," knowing that. His son had violated Dinah. His son had taken her against her will. Nowhere here in the scripture is there one apology. There is not one pardon. As a matter of fact, to add insult to injury, he says, why don't we intermarry our tribes, our families, so that we can all become rich and wealthy and become one big happy family. Well, I don't know about you, but that is not the kind of terms that you want to bring two tribes together on. That's not the way you, you begin to establish a relationship. Okay? So, after we see this, this terrible, terrible travesty take place, Jacob was still processing as to how he was going to respond. And while he, Jacob is processing... His sons had already decided what they were going to do. And they went and did this very thing that we all read about by saying, and they, and they completely deceived, <coughs> they completely deceived Shechem and Hamor and this whole city. And while these men were, were on the mend, these men were on the mend, 
they were attacked by two men with swords, Levi and Simeon. And they, they cut down every single man. Now, as I mentioned, as a father of a daughter, I'm a girl dad. The Lord would have to intervene should something ever like something like that ever happen to my daughter, my wife, or my loved ones, my friends, my people, my families, people in our church, right? Jacob's processing and his sons say, we're just going to go and we're going to take matters into our own hands. Things happen when unexpected circumstances rock our world. Sometimes we're put in a position or in a place where rage, where anger, where vengeance can get the, the best of us. And now we live in a different day and age. We live in a different day and age where if we were to take things into our hands the way Simeon and Levi did back then, we would have to face consequences according to our own act, actions and according to the law and justice that we live in and that we live under today, wouldn't we? So these are all things that we have to take into consideration today. But we see here that when Hamor came to Jacob, there was no There was no, no attempt to amend. There was no attempt to make right this, this great wrong. There was no attempt by, by Hamor to even correct his son. This is a, a, a travesty. This is, this is a narrative to things that we still see on t TV today where people get away with murder because of how much money they have or because of power, or because of influence, okay? And we're seeing right here that something that this son did, this father came to the rescue and tried to protect his son. It reminded me of the priest Eli in the story of 1 Samuel, where Eli did not correct his sons, who were also priests of the Most High God. They were abusing their power. In the church, they were abusing their power and their influence among the people. It says that they carried on living riotous lives and their father, the priest Eli, never corrected them. A father, even if a father makes his own mistakes, should not hold back from correcting his own, his own sons, his own daughters, his own family, or people in his sphere of influence Guess what? Or God is going to strip that man and strip those folks of the very thing that they have. Because the person does not have the backbone to be able to call things as they should be called out. And Hamor did not do that. Because he was a man of influence, he was a man of money, he was a man of power. He says, oh, let me just throw some money at it and let's see if this thing will go away. However, the stench and the defiling of this woman, this young lady named Dinah, among the, all throughout the city had become common knowledge. Do you see what's happening? It had become common knowledge what 
what they were doing, but they were, they were trying to cover it up by trying to make this huge um, civil agreement. And let's settle out of court, even though there was no court. Let's settle over here and let's, let's, let's merge our two families and let's let money help us forget about our problems. How many of you see what's going on here in the story? All right. But how many of you know that principles and the principles of the word of God are more important to stand up for, to stand against, all right, um, and to stand upon something that we believe in. No apology. Then a monetary offer, a grandiose financial pitch of how we can just forget about this little mishap and let's all become one big happy family. Oh, heck no! You gotta be, you gotta be kidding me, Haymore. He should have known better than that. Especially as he understood the, the gravity of this situation. The scripture says that Shechem, his son, was the most honored of all of his father's house. Did you see that in verse 19? It says that he was the most honored of all of his children and all of his family. So they wanted to try and just cover this thing up and not allow this to become a stain on their family name. That was a big mistake. Not only did Shechem make a big mistake, his father made a big mistake. And then guess what? The men of the city made a big mistake by accepting this plea to let's, let's marry their women and let them marry our women and let's just move on. So these men were now agreeing to jump through hoops, um, attem attempting to right this wrong in, the com in a completely illogical way. And that's where Proverbs 14, 12, for me, is highlighted. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the, way it, but in the end, it leads to death. Right? The first mistake was Shechem kidnapping and raping Dinah. The second mistake was Hamar protecting and then agreeing to look the other way. The third was the men of the city. All right? agreeing with Hamor and his son Shechem to get circumcised. And then Simeon and Levi exacerbate this whole situation by killing all the men. So the, the scripture, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. We just follow this thread, and you can pull this thread and it just continues to unfold one mistake after the other. How many of you know that in the mistakes that we've made in life, the best thing that any of us could ever do is to take ownership and responsibility for our mistakes? Right? I've counseled with people that walk right, in, right, into, my, right into my office. Pastor, can I meet with you? Yeah, absolutely. I just did this. Now you need to turn yourself in. 
Really? Yeah, you need to turn yourself in. You need to take responsibility for what you've done. Uh, Pastor, I'm on the run. For what? This is what I did. You need to turn yourself in. You need to face the music. You're going to have to face this. You're going to have to do your time. You're going to have to uh, recompense society for this mistake. Right? And it seems that in this story that we see with Hamor and Shechem, there was none of that. As a matter of fact, it just led to one mistake to the next until it ultimately led to a complete massacre. A complete massacre because of how it was handled. It, it became a debacle. Right? And so when I'm reading this passage in this story, I'm like, oh, my Lord. I'm seeing the way Hamor handles a situation in his own home with his grown-up children and does not handle it the right way. And then guess what? We get a chance to see how Jacob has learned from some of his own mistakes. And let's go be reminded. As to, let's look and see how Jacob handled this mistake that his sons committed. So for me, the, the conclusion of the matter, you guys, is the story of two fathers and the story of two different kinds of upbringing. Somebody say, aha. You see, the, the, the things that happen, the things that we go through, the things that we experience, the decisions that people make, Many times are the consequences, not all the time, but it's the consequences of things going unchecked. Of people not being corrected at points in, in different times in their lives. People, uh, children being coddled, spoiled, enabled, allowed to just not have to take responsibility. And having to learn really, really hard lessons at later times in life. Right? And families, especially families of wealth, of power, and of influence, always trying to get in the way and become a snowplow parent. Where you go and always have to fix the problems of your children. I refuse to be a snowplow parent. I refuse to be a snowplow parent of my, my oldest son, Elisha. When it comes to sports, you go handle your stuff with your coach. I'm not getting involved. You're not playing enough. You go handle that. I'm not, I'm not getting involved. Like I, I've seen and heard stories of parents throw money at programs. And, oh, man, if you know what happens in amateur and high school sports these days, you guys, you would trip out because it's all a business now. I'm not, get, I'm not becoming a snowplow in front of Judah. Judah's going to have to go and handle. Now, don't get me wrong. They're children. If anybody is mistreating if anybody abuses, if anybody outright disrespects our, our children, calls them out of their name, that's where daddy steps in. That's where mommy step in. That's where we go. We got to handle some business man to man. And, and trust me, we do. When it comes to the other things, hey, you're on your own. Oh, you got to be on that test? You gotta, oh, you failed on your test? Oh, oh, it was the teacher's fault? Okay, let's set up a, a meeting with the teacher. Let's go sit down and see what's, what's going on. Right? Don't let your children learn 
how to manipulate the law. Because they will if you let them and you're not involved. You know, we're, it's in our nature, all of our nature, to try and get out of things. But parents got to hold their children to the, you know, to the fire and, and let our children have to become people that are, that are filled with integrity. Unlike the priest Eli, who didn't correct his two sons, Phineas and Hophni, and because of that, God spoke a word to Samuel when he was a child, being raised by the priest Eli and being raised in the same temple, the same house as his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Samuel had to prophesy a word that God gave to him about against Phinehas and Hophni, saying that they were going to die. And they did. They died. And Eli died as a result of learning of the news that his sons had been killed. It's where we learn about the story of Ichabod, which means the glory of Israel has been snuffed out. You know, like Ichabod Crane? You remember the story of the headless horseman? Ichabod means the glory of Israel has been snuffed out because Eli, his, his children had died, so they were like supposed to carry on, right, this anointing. But then when Eli dies, he falls over and breaks his neck. It was a, a chain of events because things did not go checked. We don't want to be leading parties to our children's death. Hamor did not correct his son Shechem when he kidnapped Dinah and then he raped her and did not take her back. Even after all of that, he could have corrected his son. He could have gone to Jacob. He could have said, I am so sorry. What can we do? My son violated your daughter, your prized possession. How can we make this right? There was, that was, it didn't happen, Mamo. It troubles me. So as people of God, guess what? Let us always be people that correct our mistakes and take responsibility for our mistakes. Don't pass the buck. Don't lie. Don't cover up a mistake that we make because guess what? Like Pastor Dozier spoke in a sermon 12 years ago. He said, the thing about lies is that one lie cannot stand upon its own. It needs another to hold it up. And that's the same thing with covering up mistakes. Shechem's mistake could have been addressed some way, somehow, some shape. It might have cost him his life, but it would have been his life. Right, right, Pastor Sandra? It could have been his life because of what he'd done, and he would have had to have given himself over. But no, this family was going to try and do everything in their power to cover it up and to let mijo off the hook. Oh, not my mijo. Oh, yeah, you know what your mijo did? We don't want to be so graphic to talk about what your mijo did. But no, covered it up. The father signed on with it. And then the whole city signed on with it. And their lives were required because of it. Could have been avoided. Crisis averted. If they would have owned up if they would have come clean, or they would have repented. When you repent before God, 
Sometimes God is so gracious, he'll take our mess and he'll turn it into a message. Sometimes God is so gracious when we come and we fall prostrate before him and we take the responsibility for the mistakes that we make. Sometimes the Lord will say, I, I see you and you've just moved my heart because I see I, that you mean it and you've corrected your, your, your wrongs. You've righted your wrong. God will see that in your heart when we come with a contrite heart in our mistakes, as brave as they are, as big as some of the mistakes that we've ever made, you guys. The Lord loves to protect the humble and the contrite and those that come to him and say, Lord, I messed up. I failed big time and own up for our mistakes. And the Lord says, OK, OK, I can work with that. I can work with that. But I can't work with somebody who's proud. I can't work with somebody who will not admit to their wrong. It doesn't matter. You can, you, can, you can explain away. You can excuse. You can point the finger. You can blame it on somebody else. You can try and change the narrative. You can go and try to throw money at this situation. That situation is not going to go away until that person takes responsibility for that action. So let's get back to Jacob. What did Jacob do? Jacob corrected his sons, and he says, look what you have done. You went and you killed the men from this whole city, and now you have, we have become a stench to all of our neighboring people. Now, he knew that there were no men that were left in, in the family of Hamor. There were no men left, so there were no threats anymore at that point. And then they took all the women, they took all the children, and then they folded them into the people of Israel. That's another story. But now he, he knew that the story, the, the cat was out of the bag, and now the narrative was going to start spreading throughout the neighboring peoples and the neighboring nations, neighboring kingdoms, as to what had taken place. So he took his sons, and he corrected them. He called out their wrong, and he says, now we have to make things right. What you did was not right. But the thing is, which was interesting to me, you guys, and which, which, which I, was, I would have been interested to, to know and interest, interested to find out is how would Jacob have handled the situation had his sons not jumped out before him and gotten ahead of him and taken matters into their own hands. It seemed that Jacob was going to do something else, was going to do something different. We'll never know. We'll never know how the story would have ended up had Jacob sat down, discussed this, and figured out some other kind of way to fix this issue or this problem. We'll never know, right? But we do see here that Jacob corrected his sons, and he took his sons and said, now we have to go before the Lord. And what did the Lord tell him? Go to Bethel. Go to the place where you've set up an altar before, and you're going to need to make a sacrifice unto, unto the Lord. You're going to have to repent of this great sin, this great travesty of taking matters into your own hands and taking a situation that was a bad situation from the beginning, but it wasn't supposed to end up that way. And just what I appreciate about Jacob was that Jacob had made plenty of mistakes, plenty of blunders, but he was wise enough, strong enough, and able to stand up to his sons 
and tell them that they were wrong and correct them. And who did he point them to? Who did he point them to? To God. You, you guys, we got to take this up with God now. Your sin has become our sin. And that, that's the story of the body of Christ. It's the story of the Catholic Church, isn't it? Isn't it? This, the great sin of the Catholic Church has become everybody's sin in the Catholic Church. The great sin in, in our community is a sin that we of the body of Christ have to deal with. As I learn, as I grow, I, trust me, I still don't like it. But I've had to learn how to have more and more uncomfortable conversations. And to talk about things and not do what we, we learned growing up on the streets or in the hood. You know, you look the other way. Don't get into other people's business. It's not, if it ain't my problem, I ain't, I ain't messing with it. But guess what? That's not the way of the body of Christ. It's not the way of a pastor. Pastor sometimes has to ask uncomfortable questions. Pastor sometimes has to sit down with people, sit down with families and couples. And we as the body of Christ, we can't shy away from having some of those uncomfortable conversations, too. Y'all following me? So God wants us to grow. God wants us in the body of Christ to become mature believers that um, are able to learn from stories like Jacob and his family. Um, we'll save chapter 35 for next week, but we're going to see how God has mercy on them, you know, in a ruthless world that they live, um, how, how God dealt with them. Um, but um, praise the Lord. <clears throat> we see the, the tale of two fathers, the, the a different type of story in a different kind of way, um, a different code that they raised their children. And you got one hand, Jacob, who had the fear of the Lord. Somebody say fear of the Lord. And Hamor, on the other hand, who did not have the fear of the Lord. May we err on the side of fearing the Lord. May we err on the side before we even make a grave mistake or, you know, anything Let's err on the side of the fear of the Lord. Consider the consequences. Consider the repercussions uh, of our actions. Consider the things that we're doing or that we're involved in now. All right? I'm going to, you know, hey, guys, consider if, if you don't make these things right now, this thing could, it could get ugly. Right? The Bible says what goes on in the dark eventually is exposed. It will, it will be brought to light. And so we as the church, we don't want to have to learn lessons the hard way. But if we do, guess what? Own up. Own up. Find it. Find the strength. Find the power. Look in the mirror. As broken as you may be, um, as, as tough as the situation you may face or face one day, and ask the Lord for wisdom. Ask the Lord for strength. Ask the Lord for strength. And we'll see that um, the truth will we'll set us free. The truth will set us free. It'll bring deliverance. You won't have to look over your shoulder to the right or to the left. We'll be able to live 
um, as, as best as we can in harmony, um, putting all the cards on the table, right? Um, and that's a beautiful thing. So being a Christian ain't all just about praise God, amen, and hallelujahs. It's, a, it's, it's, it's about a lot more than that. And uh, I've, I've taken my fair share of lumps. Um, I've, I've taken my fair share of, yes, I did, and have to own up. Uh, <clears throat> got in trouble at, at work one time about 15 years ago. My boss came to me and said, hey, did you do this? I said, I sure did. He's like, I'm so glad that you came clean and told me yes, because we have evidence that you did. And if you had said no, we would be having a different conversation. But since you came clean, and this is these are now the steps that we're going to take. And um, praise God. And I was just like, praise the Lord for grace and mercy. Praise the Lord for grace and mercy, um, for second chances, for opportunities to uh, learn from our mistakes um, in the word of God and before God and before one another. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, God doesn't get any satisfaction over having to discipline us, correct us. Humble us. He doesn't get any satisfaction out of it. It hurts him. It hurts him when he sees us hurt. But he comes down hardest on us when when we're not, not when we're not listening and when we don't obey. And he wants to prevent something from becoming greater. And I call that a loving God. In a good kind of way. Uh, we'd rather our children tell us the truth. See, if you, if you tell the truth, you're going to get spanked once. If you don't tell the truth and we find out that you're lying, you're going to get spanked <clears throat> times. I'm like, my boys don't get spanked anymore, but Lola, man. She's spoiled. I mean, she still she still gets some nalgadas, but open hand, no objects, <laughs> right? Kaiser Permanente, man. They tell you don't spank your kids anymore, man. It's crazy, crazy. But um, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Don't want to be a leading party to your children's death. So don't be afraid to correct your children while they're young, as they get old. The Bible says they will not depart from the ways of the Lord. Last thing I'm gonna say. Um, I was on a long drive to Cedar City, Utah, a couple of weeks ago, and one of my um, travel buddies, a uh, family member of mine, uh, said, you know, Josh? I said, what's up, bro? He goes, uh, one of the regrets that I have, man, is not raising my children in the ways of the Lord. Now they're grown. They're gone from my house, and I don't really have the ability to to do it all over again. And he said, they don't even know God. They don't have the fear of God in them. And they're good people. They're law-abiding citizens, but they don't know the Lord. And I just went, wow. 
Hey, bro, it's never too late, though. Never too late. Even if they are grown-up children, never too late. Never too late for you to show that example and to share the love of Christ and let them see what God's doing in your life and, and pray that God can work in their lives now and maybe for their future, chi- their, their future family. Yeah, you're right. So I'm praying. I'm praying. Um, but we got our work cut out for us. It starts at home. It starts in this home first. And then it starts in, in those that God has entrusted into our care. You never stop correcting your adult children, loving them through it. Let them make their decisions. But mom, dad, don't feel guilty that things happened, ha- turned out the way that they did. And No, man. That was in the past. Now you, we have to teach them the ways of the Lord and show them the right way. Amen? I mean, I can go on and on, but I'm going to stop there because we've been here for a minute. But uh, God is good. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we learn in life. We thank you for the lessons that we learn in scripture. Um, We thank you, Father, that you teach us valuable, valuable uh, lessons um, that help us now. As hard as it is, Lord, um, we know that you're there with us, allowing us, giving us the strength to make hard decisions. Um, and we see here that the Jacob, he was the recipient of grace and mercy. And wasn't right what Simeon and Levi did, although they felt justified in their actions because their daughter was hurt. Um, but Jacob, Jacob had to pull them aside and Jacob had to teach them and show them uh your way, and um, and I, I respect that. I respect that a lot. And so, Lord, may I always be a father who can speak into the lives of my children. Lord Jesus, um, may all of us who have parents, um, may, be, may we have parents who are able to speak into the, our hearts and our lives too, because none of us are above reproach. None of us are, are too big for our britches. Um, And um, may we honor all of us, our fathers and our mothers, so that the Lord may um, give us long life uh, here on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Love you. I told you it was a tough one. Told you.